Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth regarding the truth that can set you free. Man is very clever. As you know, you go to speech class in college, they teach you how to make your three points, your introduction, but to totally depend on that, thinking that I'm going to be able to persuade you to the gospel because of my oratory skills and this and that. Listen to me. It comes through conviction. The Spirit of God convicts you because you've seen you're under the wrath of God and He has now opened your eyes to the love of God to save you. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Politics have a way of dividing people, to be sure. Many sincere people are Democrats and many are Republicans. But when it comes down to it, does it really matter what party you are affiliated with? Well, how about religion? Many sincere people are Buddhists, Mormon, or Muslims. Yet Christians say they know the only way to heaven. Here's Pastor Xavier with the simple truth about the exceptionality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen. Many are amazed at the preaching of the gospel and that as far as they are concerned, it is the preaching of foolishness. It's a waste of time. Yet, they cannot deny the life change and the effects that have come upon a life of one who has trusted the gospel through repentance. Then there are those in every generation who receive the gospel and are transformed through the gospel, but afterwards they attempt to alter the gospel by making it appealing or acceptable by those who are lost in the world. The Corinthians are the classic case in point for this truth as Paul confronts them. As they attempted to mix human secular knowledge and wisdom along with the proficiency of oratory, speaking very well, professionally, making the gospel powerless and ineffective. This is the problem when people think they can better the gospel when in reality they only dilute and weaken the efficiency of the gospel. Paul reminds the Corinthians here about the gospel he preached to them at Corinth. And it's characterized by three things. Allow me to read our text. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God any mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the Spirit of man, which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But we, or he who is spiritual, judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul reminded the Corinthians about the gospel that he preached to them at Corinth. They have moved away from mixing with human knowledge and philosophy. So his reminder is characterized by three things. First, verse 1 through 5, the proclamation of the gospel, how he preached. Verse 6 through 9, the presentation of the gospel, what he preached. And then thirdly, 10 through 16, the illumination of the gospel, how he knew what he preached. Let's begin here. Verse 1 through 5, the proclamation of the gospel, how he preached. Notice verse 1, the apostle Paul preached a gospel pure in content. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come to you with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Paul came to them, notice, to preach the gospel. He addressed them in the first person singular, I, due to the fact that he had arrived at Corinth alone. Remember that Silas and Timothy were not with him. They were still in Macedonia waiting, remember? They were to meet him at Athens. They didn't get there. He took off to Corinth. He will be addressing them in the first person plural when he gets down to verse 6, we. Talking about Silas and Timothy, also the other apostles. And he'll go back on first person singular and plural. Now, again, he calls them brethren, Adolphus, born again, the family, a term of endearment. This is the fifth time they are called that from chapter 1 to here. 32 more times he will call them that. He's a concerned father. He loves him. He's correcting their deviation from the family of God. He came to Corinth, and they knew that. The Greek scholars tell us it's a participle eras active, literally having come to you. They saw him. They heard him. He had been there. They received the gospel directly from him. Notice that Paul did not preach the gospel with eloquent words. This is the first thing he says here. The word excellent means um, rising above superior or preeminence. The word is found only one other time in the New Testament, and that is in 1 Timothy 2.2, where it's used um, for those in governing authority, and it's translated authority. The idea behind the context is words of professional rhetoric, followed by the word logos, words. Speech that impresses and affects the hearer by mastery of the language, commanding authority. Polished speaker, silver tongue, 
People mesmerized. They're hypnotized. They're just in awe of the person. That's how cults are built, even in the church. The problem is that this kind of language and practice usually is lacking sincerity and meaningful content is there to convince and appeal and to glory in self. Notice Paul preached the gospel not with the wisdom of man, he says. The word for wisdom, Sophia, we've talked about it before. It means basically broad and full intelligence for decision-making, but often used for philosophy. In Colossians 2.8, it says uh, philosophy, phileo Sophia, the love of wisdom, the tradition of the world, the ABCs. He uses the same word seven times in the second chapter, five for human wisdom and philosophy, and two times for the wisdom of God. The contrast cannot be missed, particularly 118 to 25, he focuses on that. Human natural wisdom to divine wisdom that is sourced and revealed by God. Paul masterfully and boldly, notice, declared the superiority of God's wisdom over man's. In chapter 3, verse 19, he deals with two, but let me give you 1 Corinthians 1, 19. It says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Then in chapter 3, 19 and 20, he's going to say, for the wisdom of the world is foolishness, but God, with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile, empty, vain. Paul preached the gospel, which is the testimony of God. Mark it well. They're still in verse 1. The word declaring means to announce publicly, to publish. Paul uses the same word quoting the Lord's words. That those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 9.14. Same word. Paul used the word to indicate that as often as one eats and drinks, speaking about the communion, they proclaim, same word, the Lord's death till he comes in chapter 11, verse 26. Remember that Paul was, that word, um, caruso, a herald. The message was not his. It was given to him. The authority was not his. It was vested to him. He wasn't responsible for the response. He was only responsible for the proclamation. And that's your responsibility and mine. I am not responsible for your response. I am responsible for the declaration of that proclamation. And God in his mercy will hold you responsible for the response. Not me. The word testimony means a witness. As you know, we get martyred from it. Paul was simply a herald of what God had done through Christ for the redemption of man, a chosen vessel, Memoranias. Paul had been given the message as well as the authority to proclaim that good news as that herald. And the word testimony is synonymous with the wisdom of God by the gospel of Christ in these first two chapters. Now look at verse 2. The Apostle Paul preached the gospel that was Christ-centered. This is key. For I determined not to know anything except among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Paul was totally committed to only the gospel entrusted to him by Jesus Christ. The word determined means to make a judgment. 
He will use it 17 more times in the letter. And then it'll be translated the majority of the time, judge or judged. When you make a judgment, you take the information, you observe it, you examine it, you assimilate it, you accommodate it with what is right and wrong, where it fits, and you come to a determined decision based on that information. You make a judgment. And you're committed in that judgment because you know it's the right one. This was Paul's judgment. A gospel that is Christ-centered. The judgment of Paul was that they had nothing that could compare or surpass a testimony regarding the gospel of God. Corinth didn't have it in its philosophy's religion. Nothing. The implication being that he did not learn anything from them or mix anything with the gospel of God as they had. This is the whole instruction, the whole correction. Now notice Paul determined to know only Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay, you don't want to leave the cross out. The person was the incarnate God-man in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God and God was the Word. And the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory. His only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Jesus represents His humanity. His name means Yahweh, is salvation. 27 times in this letter, he will, His name will appear. Do you think 1 Corinthians is about Jesus? <laughs> the proclamation was that he died on the cross to forgive man's sins and redeem lost man. The most gruesome death a man could die. No Roman would ever be crucified. It was left to those who were non-Romans to strike fear in their heart who would ever defy Rome. The Persians invented it. The Carthaginians refined it. The Romans perfected it. You could be days on the cross and not die until then. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Remember how you used to think about the gospel and then you came to the gospel? What a difference. On what you think and how you value the gospel now. Look at verse 3. The Apostle Paul preached a gospel not trusting his own personal abilities. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Paul was physically weak, as you know. The scriptures identify two physical infirmities of Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, if you remember, Paul had a physical infirmity, what he called a thorn in the flesh or a tenth stake which God gave to him lest he would be exalted above measure to keep him humble, to be buffeted by Satan. We don't know exactly what that was. Some think that perhaps it was his eye-oozing disease called althelmia that he probably contacted through malaria in the high regions there of Asia Minor. And um, Galatians 4, 13 through 15 makes the comment that the Galatians would have given him their very eyes. But we're not sure. In 2 Corinthians 10, 10, it says, for his letters, his critics talking about him, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Whoa. Paul was not this professional order. Don't, don't, don't make a mistake. He was very educated, very Greek and Hebrew culture, everything. 
Gamaliel only complained he couldn't get enough books for him. <laughs> Surpassing his contemporaries, smoking them. Of the tribe of Benjamin, the fierce tribe, circumcised the eighth day. And he said, I count all those things but a pile of manure, rubbish to the ecstasy of Jesus Christ. Oh, would to God the pulpits of America would say that. Paul was mentally fearful. Fear, phobos, simply means dread, terror. That's from within when you're afraid. We get our word phobias from it. Some have suggested that this fear was due to his little success in Athens and where he tried to battle the uh, Epicureans and the Stoics with human philosophy, word philosophy, and they kind of defeated him. He only had a couple of converts. Are you kidding me? Some of these critics need to shrink. They read so much into the text that's not there. Amazing. Paul simply knew the evil of Corinth, a very evil city. Then Paul was emotionally trembling. The word trembling, quaking, this is on the outside due to the phobia and fear inside. Paul was alone when he arrived at Corinth, if you remember. Silas and Timothy had not arrived yet. They were still in Macedonia. And for reasons that are not disclosed to us, Paul was fearful, and the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him and told him, stop being afraid. I have many people in the city, and no one is going to harm you, Acts 18, 9, and 10. And he was there for 18 months and established the church. Paul, as you know, was a very educated man, as I said, but he did not trust in his learning or self-sufficiency, only in the gospel. He says, when I'm weak, I am strong. Have you found that out? The longer I walk with God, the more I realize. The older I get, the less I'm going to be able to do. Not that I was inefficient when I was young. I was just too dumb to know it. As we get older, hopefully we get a little wiser. Very important. Look at four and five. The Apostle Paul preached the gospel void of man's methods. Paul did not preach with persuasive words of man's wisdom. And the word persuasive there means words that have their aim to convince rather than to simply inform so they can make a choice. This is the only appearance of the word is believed that Paul coined this word. The description identifies the wisdom of man again, indicating the one the, uh, the one of the methods that man uses. Man is very clever. As you know, you go to speech class in college, they teach you how to make your three points, your introduction, you know, and how to present it, how to make your transitions, all that. And there's nothing wrong in and of itself but to totally depend on that, thinking that I'm going to be able to persuade you to the gospel because of my oratory skills and this and that. I, 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 I've smoked something. It's just not going to happen. Listen to me. It comes through conviction. The Spirit of God convicts you. And because he convicts you, you see yourself under the wrath of God as a lost sinner. And you don't just say, well, okay, I agree with you, God. Go ahead and save me. No, when you realize that, and it's not persuasion, but it's conviction, you are in utter terror. And it points you to the love of God, and you so appreciate God. Because you've seen you're under the wrath of God and he 
has now opened your eyes to the love of God to save you. Wow. Paul preached in demonstration of the spirit and of power. The contrast cannot be missed between man's ways, that of persuasive words and the words and the power of God, supernaturally to convict the person of that sin. This power is by and through the Holy Spirit, who is mentioned five times in verse 10 through 14 that we will see. The word for power is dunamis. You're familiar with it. That with residing power and the thing by virtue of its own nature. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8, you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It is not by our ability, ladies and gentlemen. It is not by our cleverness. This is where the Christians at Corinth were deviating They're going back into bringing the world model, allowing the culture to come into the church, embracing it, thinking they're going to better the gospel. What a mistake. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Paul said, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, same word, and in the Holy Spirit within much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. The contrast is also between men and God's power here to save. To save, that's the goal. Look at five. Paul preached in this manner with a purpose. That their faith should not be in the wisdom of man affecting only the intellect and not the heart. The problem is the heart of man, desperately wicked, deceitful, Jeremiah 79. Our problem is not intellectual with God, ladies and gentlemen. Our problem is our heart, it's evil. Now the world tells you you're good. I've told you often, finish the sentence, good for nothing. Where do we get this stuff? From what part of history do we get that man is good? We're not denying that man has done some good things and can do good things, but the goodness of man is inconsistent. What, what section of history, what nation, what race? Where are we getting this? Because wherever we're getting it, it's a lie. You don't have to look all through history. Just look to yourself. Start with you. You won't have to go any further. <laughs> that their faith should be in the power of God to make his gospel alive, to convict them of sin, and see the love of God. The word faith has a definite article indicating that their faith or their belief was based on the benefits of Christ crucified. Solely on that. Galatians 3, 1 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Who has moved you away? Why would you go somewhere else when you've come to the Lord and Savior Christ? The witness of men and women from all walks of life who were and have been transformed throughout the centuries is the greatest testimony to the gospel. Shall we begin with Paul? (laughs) How about Newton, the slave trader? Amazing grace. How sweet a sound to save the wretch like me. What psychologist is going to change you from a slave trader to a lover of men? (laughs) Wow. 
proclamation of the gospel was unadulterated in the power of the gospel, the power of God, completely. Pastor Xavier Reese closes today's study with the truth about the power behind the gospel. And you can request a copy of today's encouraging message titled, The Mystery of Preaching. It's available on CD for just $4. And this is one message you'll want to share with those in your church and Bible study. The title to ask for once again is, The Mystery of Preaching. Or simply mention today's date when you write, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. What's the prerequisite for salvation, and who can be saved? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 